Yeah, Jordan, you need to, uh, as you get more familiar with the Metroplex, you need to make sure you're voting in uh, your local elections. <laughs> oh, no. Commissioners <laughs> and school board and whatnot. Yeah, maybe one day. It's important. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, Jason's right, man. The OJ trial was really what started the 24-hour news cycle. Man, Jordan, you were not on this earth yet. But, dude, I, re- I was a kid when that happened. I remember being at lunch and great above us. I was in fourth grade, so I think the fifth graders got to be late for lunch so they could hear the OJ verdict when it went down. <laughs> and I remember kids running in the lunchroom just screaming, he's not guilty, he's not guilty. And everybody had their opinions on the OJ deal. But at any rate, uh, there is something I wanted to pick your brain about that I was thinking about today. And it has to do with the interior D-line at Texas. And it, <laughs> You know, when we talk about stacking talent, we talk about roster building, it's a never-ending process. And I'm thinking, you know, Alfred Collins has gone after this year. You get one year out of Tia Savea. And Vernon Broughton has another year if he wants to use it, or he could go ahead and go pro. We'll see what happens. But after that, it, we go back to that group that of the unknowns, right, that we just – Sadir Mitchell, Aaron Bryant, those guys, like we just don't know yet. Are they good? Are they bad? Are they? Can they contribute? Can they start? Are, are they going to be passed over or whatever? Man, Kenny Baker's taking this D-line, interior D-line job at a time where 25 is an insanely important cycle for that position. And you and I have talked about it. I don't think people realize, you know, people say, well, you can just wait and see if somebody comes into the portal. All right, well, hope is not a strategy. Like, you got to build this from the grassroots level. What's your early take on 2025 defensive tackles or guys that could like is Lance Jackson a guy that you think maybe could kick down inside like what what just give me your your overview on 30,000 foot view on 2025 interior D linemen yeah uh yeah so um we have Lance Jackson listed as a defensive line prospect uh I I try to write as much as I could in his commitment story but he could literally play anything um Mm -hmm. yeah just because he has a frame too and the athleticism too uh, Texas has kind of been like, you know, Ethan Burke, we think you could be like that. But, you know, they've also acknowledged with him that they might uh, have different plans from him, for him than Ethan Burke's role, you know. And because of the type of prospect he is, that there's no rush to figure that out. You know, he's not – sure. even in his first year, Lance Jackson isn't going to be a guy who probably appears in more than uh, four games. Not because he's not talented enough, but just because Texas won't need that. And, you know, that'll give him time on the, on the bench and – to uh, work with the nutritional staff, um, Tory Beckton, sure. uh, put on weight and, you know, ultimately shape his body for a specific uh, position, I think would be the plan for his freshman year. Yeah. Um, so, again, he could be an edge or D lineman. And that's why I said, like, this commitment is a really big deal, especially yeah, that it's this early because it gives Texas flexibility with how they can, you know, recruit the rest of the, the defensive line guys. Yeah, they're different body types, but same deal with Jeray Bledsoe. Like, they didn't need to pigeonhole Jeray Bledsoe into a spot. It's just like, look, if he's, you know, a 260-pound guy that plays on the edge, great. If he's a 280, 285-pound guy that kicks inside, then that's fine, too. It's just I think Jeray's been, like, in the, like the 275, 280 range. So, especially going to the SEC, we're going to face bigger offensive lines. Like, okay, how does he fit into this mix? Uh, you do run the risk sometimes with those guys. You do run the risk sometimes with those guys maybe becoming tweeners. But uh, you, you pointed, you painted the picture, you know, that family, that Jackson family has known PK since 
he was recruiting Landon in Washington. So I think they feel comfortable. Whatever the plan that they've been told is, I'm sure they feel comfortable with it, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And, I mean, he even kind of – I don't think I included, like, that specific quote in the story just because, like, it didn't make sense. But mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I asked him, you know, like, what made you want to shut it down this early? And he was just like, I knew I was going to Texas, so. <laughs> and, like, yeah. that was what he said. And I was like, oh, okay. So, like, I think, you know, like you said, uh, he's going to be pretty comfortable with whatever PK and the defensive staff has laid out for him. And, you know, clearly it's comfortable enough if, you know, on record he was like, you know, I knew I was going there. I'm just going to get it out of the way. So, for sure. Um, but I guess for interior D-line, that's where we'll start. Um, uh, according to our database, 24 D-line offers have been extended. Uh, the only one that's been extended by uh, Kenny Baker came yesterday actually and it was uh where is he at where are you at i literally kevin Wynn from green county uh yeah green county in greensboro georgia mm-hmm. he actually was at the under armor camp they hadn't offered him by then so i didn't you know try to go <laughs> grab him um but you know interesting first offer for kenny baker he's obviously uh from the state of georgia as well so yep. you know maybe they get some relationship building done during the stead period and you know maybe get him to campus at the end of it um, but you know, honestly, Bo Davis leaving at the time he did wasn't great because he was kind of the only guy that ever talked to any of these D linemen that have been offered. But you know, it, you'd rather that move happen in January than in the summer or something like that. So it is good, I guess, that it happened in, at this point in the off season. But you know, the the main targets, regardless of who is going to be coaching D-line, if it was Kenny Baker, if it was still Bo Davis, the main targets are going to be the in-state guys. You know, that's right. that's always how it is. Um, Landon Rink, obviously big name, uh, Texas Legacy as well. Um, I've had a crystal ball in for him for a long time uh, for, for Texas, just because I've always felt, um, you know, that's ultimately where he's going to end up, even, uh, I guess, to maybe trying to throw people off scent. But... Um, you know, there's people you talk to in Houston and in Cyprus right now that will tell you Texas is not in the leading position for Landon Rink right now. Yeah. Um, and that if it was, if you were to point to a leader, it would probably be A&M or Oklahoma, to be honest with you. Um, but pretty much from from the start of Rink's recruitment, it was either going to be Texas, A&M, or OU. I still like my crystal ball pick. I don't think Texas is the leader right now, but I just think there's so many variables and factors at play that, Again, I'll be very surprised if he doesn't end up at Texas. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, still still rocking with my crystal ball there. <clears throat> Correct me if I'm wrong, but when they were at Texas, Colton Vosick's dad and Shane Rink's uh, Shane Rink and uh, Landon Rink's dad were roommates. Yes. Yeah. They were, they. Shane Rink is Landon spe- Rink's father. Specified. And figured that out and put two and two together. Yeah, they uh they specified and said they were game day roommates because you know how they will um mm-hmm. you know go to a hotel or whatever before the game, so it keeps him out of trouble. Um, but the he might not be the highest ranked guy in state. I'm not sure, but in my opinion, it's yeah. Lance Jackson is technically the highest ranked defensive line prospect in the state of Texas, but in my opinion, he's more of an edge. Um, so that said, DJ Sanders from Belleville, I think he is the best defensive line prospect. Maybe not just interior, but including edge in the state. Wow. Um, Jeff, I'm telling you, watch his junior film when we get off DJ Sanders. It's like some of the most fun you'll ever have watching highlights. Um, He's just a freak. And the good thing is uh, it's pretty much every source you talk to has him not leaving the state, Um, you know, meaning it'll be A&M or Texas. 
right now, pretty much every source leans to uh, the Aggies, uh, unfortunately for Texas fans. But, um, you know, there, there's a long way to go in that one. And also, uh, DJ Sanders, he might be, I don't even know what the right word is. His recruitment is going to be incredibly hard to track, especially as we get into the summer months because he doesn't post on social media. Um, he doesn't give quotes in interviews. And uh, his recruitment is just, has pretty much been the same since the jump. Since his freshman year, it was always, it's going to be A&M or Texas. And we're about two and a half, three years later, it's still the same. Not a ton of new intel. So, you know, Belleville will be one of my stops um, in the spring. And, you know, DJ Sanders, they're, they're going to have to fight from behind for that one. Um, and if I had to choose right now, I would assume he's ending up at A&M or I would pick A&M for sure. Um, Ethan Utley, he's from Ensworth in Nashville. Uh, Texas, I think, was in his top four, top five that he posted um, a few months ago. But at the time, we had written that, you know, Tennessee is where we think he's eventually going to end up. He's one of their top targets, if not the top in-state target for them. And Bo Davis is the one who had done all the dirty work in that recruitment. So Bo Davis being off the staff, that one's done for Texas. Pretty much uh, Brandon Brown, he's obviously committed. Um, if I was a betting man, I'd bet on the odds that he doesn't sign with Texas, honestly. Just yeah. Even he is saying in interviews he's a very soft commit. Um, and, I mean, he's never visited before and just still decided to commit to Texas. So uh, his, he's going to be in town next month for a seven-on-seven tournament. He is with the seven-on-seven team as a D lineman. Not really sure how that works, but that's what he told us. Um, but he'll, he'll be at Texas next month for a visit whenever his seven-on-seven uh, seven squad is in town. Um, and then other guys that are important for in-state, uh, Zion Williams from Lufkin and Floyd Guidry from Spring. Uh, Zion Williams, uh, he made it very clear it was going to be TCU or Texas in the fall. Um, you know, once Bo Davis went to LSU, they kind of – became a hat in the mix as well. So mm -hmm. for him at Texas, LSU, TCU, that one is probably going to be an end of summer decision um, after official visits. But, you know, Texas is in a great spot for him, regardless of who's coaching. He's often talked about how he likes to school the program and top to bottom could see himself fitting at Texas, regardless of what exactly is going on with the football program. Um, and the Floyd Guidry, on the other hand, Texas was, uh, I believe his like, first power five offer and like his third overall offer he's only gotten a handful more since then but uh he told us at the national combine check-in hank and i interviewed him that texas was his dream school growing up he had a bunch of longhorns jerseys in his closets and you know whenever he got the texas offer he called his girlfriend he called his mom's dad you know i got the texas offer all that and you know they, they remain in just as good of a position for floyd Guidry with or without bo davis and it's kind of the same um, concept is with Zion Williams' is recruitment, where both of those guys, have, Zion Williams has said it, Floyd Guidry hasn't said it exactly, but it feels like the same vibe. But Zion had said, even if I didn't play football, I could see myself in Texas. Yeah. For Floyd yeah. Guidry, it, it feels the same way, even if he wasn't a great football prospect that, you know, Texas would be the school he probably tries to focus on. And mm -hmm. even though his rating isn't amazing, you know, I've had people at Texas tell me they see some Byron Murphy and Floyd Guidry. So, okay. you know, I remember last month we had posted the interview and some people were, you know, pardon my French, but bitching and moaning about rankings. <laughs> um, and it's like, look, our rankings are all draft projection. We clearly missed on Byron. Um, I believe we had him as a four when no one else did, but we, we didn't did, have yeah. him in the top two, four, seven. Um, so there's going to be misses and also, Dude, we have a year to fix these rankings for the cycle. Yeah. Um, so 
that's that's pretty much D line, and there's also other guys. Uh, Dylan Battle is a really important target. I, I forgot about him just because we still have him unranked for some reason. Um, but Dylan Battle is a really important target. Uh, Michigan. He's originally from Michigan, or one of his parents still lives up there. Something like that. He has ties to the University of Michigan. Alabama was also big for him prior to Nick Saban, and now it's kind of it, it seems like it's a feeling out process, just like it is for a lot of other kids at this point in the spring where. They're using this dead period and these next few months to, you know, filter out who they are realistic for, who they could actually see themselves going to play for and, you know, who is going to stop talking to them, who's going to ghost them, and who's going to stay consistent. Um, this is the, – the summer is always a really important talked-about time for recruiting, especially for rising seniors. But, you know, the groundwork for the summer is late in the spring and in yeah. the dead periods and at these junior days, at these early spring recruiting events – that's where the groundwork's laid. So, you know, it's important. Um, I guess that Baker came in before the dead period because he was able to see some guys. But, yeah. you know, it wasn't great timing because it was only about like four or five days before it closed. So, you know, he, he has a lot of work to do. And, you know, it honestly kind of sucks because he can't see these guys in person. He has to build relationships over text and calls. Yeah. While every coach has to do that, you know, they at least have the oh, I met him in person, too. He can't. He hasn't been able to do that yet. So, interested to see what these next months uh, hold for Kenny Baker, especially uh, at his position he coaches and and in recruiting. But so yeah. So if you're if you're Kenny Baker, if you're anybody on that staff, what does your ideal interior D line class look like for twenty five? Like if you fast forward us to to Jan to to December, that early signing window, what's a good haul for Texas? Okay, I'm going to include Edge as well. Okay. Just because. Um, but ideal, and I'm going to be realistic. I'm not going to be like, uh, they're getting Zion Grady, who's never visited, who's <laughs> our number 12 player or anything like that. Um, but I'll, I'll throw Chad Woodfork in there from Summer Creek. Is that a is that a Texas-Texas Tech battle down on the wire, you think? Um, Look, I think, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really not sure. Um, I think visits are going to be important. I think Tech and UT are the two schools at the front of the recruitment. But, you know, like I was saying, I guess with, with other guys in this dead period, they're filtering it down. And also, Woodfork has barely taken any visits. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think he's left the state for a visit. And he's always talked about wanting to see USC, uh, Georgia, Georgia Tech. And it for for him, it had always been the, the main four of USC, Texas Tech, Texas, and Georgia. Um, and he's picked up some new offers, and I always wrote how I thought Texas was going to be in a great spot for him through the whole thing because they were his first big-time offer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's remained true, and they've stayed consistent on him. But Woodfork, uh, Camorian Morgan. Camorian Morgan is also of the uh, Lance Jackson type, but he he might all honestly – like they're exact opposites, where Lance Jackson is rated as a D lineman, probably an edge, where Camorian's rated as an edge, but it's probably a D lineman. Got yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Camorian has a frame um, to add. He, he honestly could add 50 pounds and like be a perfect five tech, in my opinion, or four. Mm -hmm. um, I really like Camorian as a prospect. And uh, between him and Woodfork, I prefer Morgan. And But that's largely just because Chad Woodfork is, you know, a developmental upside guy. He only had three, three and a half sacks this past season as a junior, and Summer Creek went to state. That's obviously not great. Um, and there's probably going to be a bunch of comments about Woodfork, the same things that were said about. Uh, Zina Yumuzalu, where the production mm -hmm. isn't great, but 
he tests like a freak. Chad Woodford tests better in some at Under Armour, the Under Armour Houston camp last year when it was raining. Chad Woodford had better testing numbers than like half of the receivers there. Like the the saying about him is he, he tests like that, a receiver. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like he guys like that. There's not. There's only so many each cycle. So regardless of production, there's a reason. You know, pretty much every school in the nation wants him. Um, but right, so those, Chad Woodford, Camoria Morgan, yeah. Uh, Lance Jackson. Um, I'm not going to include Brandon Brown in this mock class. Um, okay. I just that's how I see it happening. Um, we'll go Landon Rink. I think he's still going to end up in the class. Um, Gidry. So that's five. Uh, I think they're going to split. I think they'll split DJ Sanders and Zion Williams. Um, I just. Uh, it would be incredibly hard to get both of those guys. That means you would have gotten the top four D linemen in the state of Texas, which is like kind of impossible to do. Um, but I think that'd be a great class, uh, especially on the interior of Rink, Guidry, and um, where's either either Sanders? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and honestly, I'd, I'd lean Zion Williams um, for the third spot over Sanders for sure. But yeah, those three guys, and then. You know, Gidra and Rink are both kind of the like if, if you look at what Savandre Sweat and Byron Murphy were, how Byron mm-hmm. Murphy was a smaller, I guess, gap shooter, or whatever. That's yeah. what Gidra and Rink are. Whereas Zion Williams is the Tavondre Sweat. He's six four, three hundred yeah. pounds. I was just watching some of Floyd Gidry's uh, huddle, and that's that's exactly what was the first thing that popped off the screen. It's like, yes, this dude is a he's a penetrator, he's a disruptor. Yeah. And so Texas could decide they only want one of those guys, maybe the smaller Brian Murphy types, and they want to get two of the Tavondre Sweat types, which is what uh, DJ Sanders, he could either, he could honestly be the one because he's that much better than everyone else, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and again, if, if y'all have the chance, go watch DJ Sanders' his junior year film. It's ridiculous. Um, but Dylan Battle also fits, you know, he's not as tall, but he is <laughs> you know, definitely over three bills. He's 315, and even that, I'm not sure how accurate that is um but yeah so there's a lot of great talent in state for d-line um you know i know rankings aren't gonna jump off the page for a ton of these guys but you know at the end of the day uh you look at what texas is gonna I have drafted the this first year. play of dj sanders tape where he just takes the ball out of the running back's hand and yeah. runs it back for a touchdown oh my gosh yeah, yeah i see what you're talking about now yeah. Runs down a dude on a jet sweep. All right, you do that at 300 pounds, you can move a little bit. Yeah, we have him at 6'4", 290, but... Chasing down a... Oh! Chases down the bubble screen, strips the ball from the receiver. That's another fumble return for a touchdown. Yeah. And, like, it, it's not like it's new either. Like, his freshman year, he had similar stuff on tape, and we were like, holy shit, who's this kid at Belleville? Like, <laughs> Yeah, man, I just don't – I don't watch a ton of recruiting uh, recruiting stuff anymore until guys commit, and then I'll, I'll dig into it. But, man, that's that's impressive, dude. He's he's a hoss. Look yeah. at him just straight up just, just walking the dog back to the quarterback. I like that. That's good stuff right there. All right, yeah. So now, when if DJ Sanders ends up going to A and M, I'll be just be disappointed for the rest of the cycle that Texas has to play against that guy for four years. Yeah, um, he's he, he's that type of player. So, yeah. so if that's the class, if you're Sark, are you happy with it? If you're a fan, should you be happy with it? 
Yeah, I mean, look, um, I think a lot of people forgot about it just because he did such a good job. But Chris Jackson was in his first year, you know, his first year ever coaching in college. This isn't Kenny Baker's first time coaching college, but when the only other place you coached at was Western Kentucky and you're now at Texas, kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, we got to give him some benefit of the doubt, let him get his feet under him. He also got screwed by the dead period, whereas I think Chris Jackson had like two weeks to go see some people. I remember him at least going to Micah Hudson's basketball game um, with Terry yeah. Joseph when they went and saw uh, Micah and Selman. But uh, it, I... For what it is and for what Texas has to deal with with the new D-line coach, I think it would be uh, a success, successful class for sure. Of the guys on I've, – I've always been a big Jeray Bledsoe believer mm-hmm. just because of the athleticism. I just don't know – I don't know where he plays. And, look, Sadir Mitchell, you just want – you want him getting off the bus first. Of those guys, which guys do you have hope for? And I'll throw in Aaron Bryant and Zach Swanson too – of the guys on campus that are going to be here for 2025, at least we think so. Who knows who enters the portal or not? But of those guys, which one? Who do you think makes the biggest jump? Who's going to be ready to go in 2025? You're going to need a couple of those guys this year. But I mean, ready to maybe if anybody's going to be ready to be a frontline guy, who do you think it is? I, I think from a talent standpoint, it's Bledsoe. I just don't know what you know how exactly he fits in based on where his body is. Yeah, so I know we were kind of talking about the rotational guys, but I think Vernon Broaden is going to have top to bottom the best season next year. I think Alfred Collins is just going to continue being too flashy. Um, or not not flashy, but like making flashy plays, but he's not consistent. Yeah. Whereas Vernon Broaden, like, it, I would have liked to see him get more snaps last year, but at the same time, it was like, are you going to take Byron Murphy and Devondre off the field? No, you're not. Yeah. So, I understood it, but I think Broaden is, is going to be the the main guy in, the, in that stable of guys. But for the rotational guys, um, look, it's make or break it time for Aaron Bright and Zach Swanson because they have never played. You can say the same for Dre Bledsoe. Um, there are a lot higher expectations with Dre Bledsoe coming in than Zach Swanson or Aaron Bryant. So that said, for him, it's especially make or break. I think Sadir Mitchell, uh, they're going to need something out of him because they're just, yeah. there's not a ton of depth. And whether he's ready or not, they're going to need him to play. Um, mm-hmm. So he's going to have to step up. He's, you know, now that Tavondre Sweat's gone, probably the the biggest body, I'd assume, interior D-line off the top of my head. Um, and they're going to need him to, to get in the way of things and to, to yeah. cause chaos and all that. Because, again, they're not going to have as many of the – uh, I don't know, big body D lineman, and you know, there's going to be more gap shooters this year, stuff like that. So, Jure is who I think uh, the season matters most for rotational guys for sure. Um, and then next, probably Sadir. And then in third and fourth place, I'd go Zach Swanson and Bryant just because, like, those guys, even when they committed, I think, you know, it was pretty well understood. They're probably mostly going to be depth players, at least that's how I look yeah. at it. So, yeah. I've said this before, but, you know, you, you look at uh, – like go back and look at like Charlie Strong's first two Texas teams in 14 and 15. And, I mean, you had guys, you know, like Dorian Leonard was never supposed to be like a frontline starting type guy. He was supposed to be a rotational guy. Paul Boyette was supposed to be a depth guy, not, you know, one of your top two defensive tackles. It's one of those deals where – 
you know, you, we do, you do this in any sport, right? You, you do it with scores in the NBA or you do it with, you know, defensive linemen in college or whoever, you know, take a guy that you perceive as like being the lowest on the totem pole and say, okay, if this guy's your number five defensive lineman, then you probably got a pretty good rotation. But if this guy's two or three, then you, you've got some depth issues. You might have some problems. Yeah. And, you know, Texas, I, I really would prefer that they get someone out of the portal in April. Um, they're going to need it. I, I just think you're, you're going to need it in the SEC. Um, Vernon Broaden, Alfred Collins, I like them. I think they're ready. But, you know, part of what made this Texas D-line so good last year is you could rotate and take Sweat and Murphy off. And, you know, obviously there's going to be a fall off, but it wasn't a cliff. Right. Or this year, it's you have one group of guys starting, and then after it's like, who's stepping up? You know, Savea is going to bring a lot of leadership and, you know, experience to that room. But I, I would just like to see them to have add, to add more than just Savea. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I know you, you started looking at that UCLA roster, kind of maybe seeing what was there. Uh, that could enter the portal. And, I, you know, maybe with Deshaun Foster getting that job, maybe they hold on to some guys that they thought might have otherwise hopped in the portal. Uh, Jay Toy is the big one. Uh, he's a former uh, – actually, he is in the portal, right? Jay, Jay Toy in the portal? Mm. We've got him listed in our transfer ranking. So, yeah, I'm guessing he must be in the portal. Um, but at any rate uh, – you know, that's that's the kind of guy. There aren't that many guys available. You know, t- typically if defensive tackles, I mean, guys like Tia Savea and Trill Carter are typically the guys that are available. Like Jamari Caldwell. Hey, Jamari Caldwell, I don't he wouldn't have started over uh I don't if, if he'd gone to Texas, I don't think he would have started over Vernon Broaden or Alfred Collins. But I think Jamari Caldwell would have been a really good number three. Easily. Yeah. He's e- easily. Now better uh, better than what you would get. DeMar Caldwell is probably closer to the top end of what you're going to find in the portal. Yeah. Like, you, if, if you've got elite defensive tackles, man, and they're, and they're in the portal, they're transferring after, like, their freshman year or something like that. Like, if you got veteran Barry guys. Alexander. Yeah, if you got veteran guys at defensive tackle, they're, you're probably just getting a good, solid player. If you're looking for, like, you know, premium draft guys like top 100 draft pick type guys those are the guys that transfer after their freshmen and they're gone in three years anyway yeah uh, i saw antoine's comment have you seen emmanuel choice of lancaster um i saw him in one game this year uh versus lufkin he actually had a touchdown i think that was his only catch though um lancaster just their passing offense is not great at least this past year it wasn't but, you know, I've always liked him as a prospect. He's every bit of 6'4", 6'5", whatever we have him at. And he also is one of the better 110 hurdles runners in the state. Um, that counts for something. Uh, whenever Oklahoma offered him, I think they were like his first or second offer, and it was like over a year ago. Um, me and a lot of other people were pretty surprised just because at that point in time, we, we could see he was probably going to turn into something, but it was still a long way down the road. So props to OU for – being early to extend and believe in him because, you know, since then they're at least I've been told uh, to look out for Oklahoma as the leader in that recruitment, but OU only has one more uh, receiver spot left. Um, or at least I've been told. So they're weighing different options for, for that position, but Emmanuel's choice is definitely one of them. 
Man, I'm just looking again at uh, <laughs> I'm, I don't know why. Again, I think it's I've got an overinflated sense of who they are as a mm-hmm. program. But I'm just looking at UCLA's roster, the comings and goings, and yeah, it's just crazy. Like they might be the worst team in the Big Ten next year. Yeah. You don't, don't think know. so? No. Or are you just not that interested in what's going on with UCLA football? Oh, you said UCLA. I thought you yeah. said USC. No, and I was UCLA. like, Jeff. <laughs> no, UCLA. Uh, no. I said uh, USC. That was a slip of the tongue, but yeah, it was uh, maybe Freudian slip on my part. But no, I'm talking about UCLA. Like, I just can't believe they're as bad as they are. Yeah. Man, Tristan Glass, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Um Yeah. Wow. Um geez. I just kind of honestly forgot about him. Uh but but Tristan Glass, I really don't know what their recruiting scoop is there. He has five offers, Cal, Colorado State, UNC, Texas State, UNLV, and you know, he is trained by hooks. Um, I don't know a ton there. I remember he was a guy everyone was really intrigued by early on. And, you know, looking at the offer list, I'm assuming that, you know, maybe he didn't continue developing the way some would have preferred. Um, but yeah, I, I, I couldn't tell you where he's going. Honestly, I have no clue. So see, okay. So I'm looking at defensive tag. Just, I just, I just want everybody to understand, like you can say, go get a defensive lineman in the portal, but I just want to lay out. I'm, I wish I could share my screen, but I'm looking at our 24 seven sports portal rankings, right? Two of your top three are Walter you, Nolan and L- LT Overton. You can share your screen. I'm not sure how to do it, but there's a present. Yeah, I don't. I don't have that. Okay. I don't have that function because I'm not. The, I'm not host. I'm not the host. So got it. I don't have that function. Um. Well, maybe. Hold on. Let me see. Nah, I don't want to mess anything up. Uh. So two of your top three in the portal are Walter Nolan and LT Overton, right? Young, talented guys transferring out of A and M, getting out of that situation after coaching change. Then you got Jamar Caldwell. Then you got Joey Slackman, who's transferring to Florida from Penn. And then it's like, you know, Quincy Wiggins transferred from LSU to Colorado. So, see, it's either young guys moving from almost making lateral or maybe slightly upward power five moves, FCS guys moving up to FBS, or if they're a power five guy in the portal, maybe they're moving down in terms of program prestige. Like Quincy, Quincy Wiggins is going from LSU to Colorado. And I only mentioned Quincy Wiggins because he was a guy that Texas recruited a few cycles ago. But man, you start looking at transfer tackles, Jordan, and it's like, okay, there's some there's some guys here, but yeah, you can't, like I said, hope is not a strategy. You can't just latch on. That's why the 2025 guys you ran down at defensive tackle are so freaking important. You really gotta, you really gotta make him make some hay with this class. So it's not like I said again, it's not like Kenny Baker's coming into this job and it's like, well, I get to kick my feet up and I'm just gonna kind of be smooth sailing. Like, no, you got Kenny Baker's got some work to do in this twenty-five cycle. Yeah, he does. And I mean, during the Caldwell recruitment, I always wrote like, this is <laughs> his recruitment might be the most important portal recruitment just because good D linemen don't exist. Yeah, a good D lineman who can go and play at a place like Texas do not exist in the portal, and if they do, you got to pay out the ass for them. Yeah, and it was and that's uh, what like, Jamari Caldwell got was paid yeah. out the ass. So I mean, it was it was one of those deals where Jamari Caldwell was probably going to Texas, and then it's like the minute the Bo Davis rumor started, 
we yeah. the talk about Jamar Caldwell in Texas died down. And it wasn't I heard that from multiple people that uh that it sounded like Jamar Caldwell was headed to Texas until he wasn't. You know, I, I don't need a number because I know you know numbers and I don't want to put anybody's business out there. I, I would imagine the NIL package for Walter Nolan to end up at Ole Miss was quite significant. Yeah, I actually don't know what the number is, but um, I'd assume it's at least like 600, 700. So that's the going, that's, that's probably the going NIL rate for, for the top defense, interior defensive lineman in the portal. Yeah, but that's like minimum. He's probably getting seven figs. It's yeah. just, I don't know what Ole Miss can, is giving these dudes. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and I can't remember if I had talked about it yesterday when I was talking about Under Armour Atlanta. But and I think I did. But did I, did I say how like no kids brought up Alabama? You mentioned that, yeah, yeah. I'm incredibly intrigued to see how that's going to unfold. That's another staff that got screwed by the dead period too, where they didn't have time to to get around and see kids. I mean, Kalen DeBoer up until a couple of days ago, still trying to hire coaches. Yeah. I mean, dude, I remember like it's kind of a shit show. I'm not going to lie. Like our our Brett Greenberg, who uh, is at Bama twenty four seven, he covers recruiting for for us. I asked him under Armour Atlanta, like, who are the kids here that you know you feel good about? I know you just had a coaching change, and he's like, dude, they don't even have an O line coach yet. <laughs> and that was Sunday. They hired. Now keep in mind, they hired one like Monday. Yeah. But the DeBoer staff got announced like over a month ago, and you didn't have an offensive line coach for over a month, and also. Yeah. Two of the assistants you hired, do you see where they came from? Did you see where they came from? Yeah. Baylor. Yeah. Well, like, what? <laughs> I just, just like, look, I know it's Kalen DeBar, Alabama. It's not Nick Saban, Alabama. And those are two different things. But look, the people in power in Tuscaloosa need to put money behind DeBar because yeah. if you don't, I really don't see this working out. And they need to put way more money. Like, and also, I thought Nick Saban, I know he retired, but he still has an office in there. Like, you assume Saban would not let an offensive line coach be unhired for a, a month plus, right? No, no. You know, I, like, that stuff always, I, I know it sounds good on paper to have the old guy hanging around, especially if he means as much to your program as Nick Saban meant to Alabama. But it's almost like when you got a legendary figure, like I know maybe one one thing that people held again, and this is I'm talking to, to I, this is from talking to people who played in this era, who covered Texas in this era, who were on the program in this era. When Fred Akers took over for Daryl Royal, there were a lot of people that were upset. One, that Mike Campbell didn't get the job, who was Daryl Royal's defensive coordinator. Upset that Mike Campbell didn't get the job. And... Two, that some people felt like Fred Akers wasn't really accepting of Daryl Royal still being around the program. That was the perception, the vibe I got. And the fact that Daryl Royal was still around, it's like, eh. like I said, it's great, but it just makes people kind of just want to latch on to the previous regime. Uh, I know like Mac was still around doing stuff at Texas when Charlie Strong got hired. I'm like, that's got to be pretty freaking awkward you know so uh, i don't know like i said that stuff sounds good but i don't very rarely does it end well you know yeah 
That is true, but it just like it is genuinely mind blowing. They had three on field position coaches that it took them three months or a month plus to hire them. Yeah. You know, I, I can, granted, Texas in 2013, 2014 was in a very different place than Alabama is right now. But I remember that transition in hiring coaches and at the time basically saying, hey, we pretty much got to take what we thought this recruiting board was going to look like for 2015. And we got to completely scrap it and start over because it's a completely new staff that's going to be evaluating guys. I know Patrick Suttis hung around for about a week, I think, just to get the staff caught up with kind of who they were already recruiting and, and kind of let them dip their toe into the, to the evaluation waters. But, man, it, I know what that's that's like where you're trying to hire a new staff and trying to, you know, you've got to, you got a junior day coming up in a couple of weeks after that. I mean, it's it's a lot to deal with for a new staff. Yeah, it is. Um, and with, with Texas, it was they definitely had their struggles because not only was it a new staff, they're dealing with Moncrief getting built, right? So no, that was uh, that was during Herman's time. Moncrief was still uh, or, or not Moncrief, but like in the early Sark period, they they still their first few visits. Oh, events, you're talking about the Sark staff? Yeah. Yeah, their first few visit events, like they were dealing yeah. with construction of Moncrief. Where they yeah, are. they were they were completely uh, they were trying to get the uh, South End Zone project finished, that whole suites and everything. They're trying to get it done in time, and they were yeah they were using the North End Zone for everything. Yeah, so basically the coaches' offices were at the opposite end of the stadium where they were having to have meetings and stuff. Yeah, yeah, organized. But, you know, it's funny. I heard you – I keep going back to you mentioning it, you know, looking at guys on a roster and when the new staff gets in there, I'm sure that staff goes through and looks at the roster and be like, we wouldn't have recruited that guy and that guy and that guy and this guy's probably got to go, whatever. You know, I know one of the first things Charlie had to do was kind of, for lack of a better term, had to pull some offers because, you know, Mac had taken some commitments – and again, especially in that 2015 class um, of guys that ended up signing with like Kansas and, you know, Sam Houston, like guys that you should have been taking commitments from, but you did it to try to generate some momentum. I know that's why you did it. And it was a mistake. So that's another thing that the strong staff had to clean up. It's like, dude, we can't have these guys. And they, they at least had the fallback of, all right, at least we're, you know, you're a new staff, so I think people will be understanding if, you know, you don't want to hang on to guys. But, you know, I go back to that 2015 class and that Charlie's first full cycle. And, man, it, it isn't. There are five, ten. There are 11 people who decommitted from Texas in the 2015 class per yeah. our website. You want Run me to go through? Down. Run those names down, yeah. I haven't thought about uh, some of these guys in a minute. Maya T. Hema. I don't know. Maya Tehama. His bro, him and his yeah. brother ended up at LSU. Yeah. From Keller. He was a number 34 player. Toby Weathersby from Westfield. Uh it was a Matt guy ended up at uh Florida. Mm. Yeah. John Burt. John Burt decommitted and, and then recommitted. The rare decommitment recommitment was John Burt. How long? Like how much time passed? A couple of weeks. He okay. was he he almost flipped to Auburn, but then ended up signing with Texas. And he decommitted because of Mac got fired. No, and- no, that was towards the end of the cycle. So if I remember right, John's 
John's aunt worked at Texas. Uh, I forget what department she worked in, but she worked, she worked at UT. Uh, his mom and his aunt wanted him to go to Texas. I think his dad wanted him to go to Auburn. So I think there was some mm. conflict there, and he ended up ended up going to Texas. Actually, I didn't get to talk to him, but I saw John Burt at the baseball game the other day. Interesting. He's doing. Uh, he's in kind of the marketing promotions department with the university, the athletic department. So mm. uh, next is Jordan Stevenson, a running back from Sock. Yeah, he was a guy that they had taken a commitment from. As a matter of fact, I think the Strongs. I know the Mac staff had taken his commitment, and it was one of those deals where. Uh, the Sox staff, I know, didn't like the way Texas handled it because Tommy Robinson was recruiting him, and they just they never told him his offer was pulled or that they didn't want him. They just kind of stopped talking to him and stopped yeah. return stop returning his calls. So yeah, um, Connor in Nebraska. Yeah, let's see, Connor Landfear from Hayes. Yeah, ended up at A and M. Yeah, if Mac would have stayed at Texas, Mac would have been a coach at Texas. Connor Landfear probably would have been a Longhorn, but. Yeah. Uh, so he's got family ties to A and M. I think that that made the decision really easy for him. For Landfear. Yeah. Okay. So Stevenson pulled up his timeline. I know he he signed. I think he signed he, with Nebraska. He had committed to Wisconsin. It said he decommitted from Texas December tenth, twenty fourteen. Committed to Wisconsin the next day, and then he signed with Wisconsin, and then he was denied admission and granted release from Wisconsin July 24th. The next day, he OV'd to Nebraska and committed a week later mm-hmm. and then enrolled at Nebraska August 2nd, 2015. And then October 26th, 2016, he transferred to Navarro College and never – that's where he finished his career. And that's, the last, that's the last we have of Jordan Stevens' whereabouts. Yeah. Um, and then Connor Lanfer, you said he ended up at A&M? Mm-hmm. Multiple-year starter. Good player for him. Yeah. The other one is Lewis Brown from Burton. <laughs> Lewis Brown. 6'5", 215. God damn. Good-looking prospect, man. He's an edge prospect. Good-looking prospect. Uh, uh, let's just say that on Lewis Brown's official visit, the word I got was uh, the Austin nightlife had claimed another one. Now, Lewis Brown was not allowed to finish his official visit, Jordan. He was sent home. Damn. And was no longer a part of the class shortly thereafter. Yeah. Um, well, he ended up oving to Oklahoma State, and that's who mm-hmm. he signed with. Yeah. Um, and then he ended up at Iowa Western Community College. And that's the last, I think, heard of him. So... Uh, what else we got here? Jamile or Jamil Johnson from Sock Safety, 6'1", 194. Jamil Johnson. It's J-M. It's Mile with a J-A in front. Yeah. Johnson. Uh, where did he end up? Uh, it's his tech. That, I think that would have been maybe when Emmett Jones left Sock and took the assistant job at Tech. So he decommitted from Texas February 1st, 2015 and committed to Tech February 4th. That was a signing day. That was a signing day flip. And if I remember right. It was because Emmett got the job there. Well, I I think the Texas staff figured out they were getting, they were flipping PJ Locke from Oregon. Mm -hmm. So I don't think they're really worried about. Plus there was the Jordan Stevenson stuff that I know didn't sit well with the Sox staff anyway. So. Mm -hmm. 
And then Kiki Kuti, I didn't know he was committed. Kiki Kuti, yeah, he was he was a Mac guy. He was committed, and uh, I remember going out to a seven on seven tournament. My brother still brings up that seven on seven tournament because we went there, and then we went to a Rangers game that night. It was a, it was in Tyler. White House was there when you know you know who's playing quarterback. Uh, yeah, it was an SQT or something. Yeah, this would have been in twenty summer of twenty thirteen, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was like White House was out there. John Tyler, uh, Kiki Kuti was Lufkin. Longview was out there. It was like it was one of the most loaded SQTs I've ever been to. And uh, yeah, Kiki Kuti was a Matt guy, and uh, the strong staff just thought he wasn't good enough to play wide receiver for them. Didn't he like end up getting drafted like day yeah. two or something? Mm-hmm. Played with the Texans. Was with the Texans for a few years. Yeah. Um. Kevon Ramsey from Judson Corner. I was thinking about Kevon Ramsey the other day. He had an injury, and then academics kind of fell off, and you know, we had him as an eighty-five three-star. He was in the top two four seven at one point. He didn't sign anywhere. I think he uh, no. It just says D commits on his profile, and that's because I think he ended up signing with West Texas A and M. I think is where he ended up signing. Damn, if I remember right, I've slept since then. Yeah, because he had an injury and. I think there was some other off some off the field thing with him. Maybe I don't remember. Maybe it was academics, but there was something else at play there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then we got two more: Bryce English, a D tackle from DeSoto. Uh, probably Bryce and English five ten and a half three fifteen. That was eighty three three star. Probably about five eight five nine. Uh, Texas took him really early, and I don't know Thinking why. He'd grow. Was not a bad player. Just why are you taking sub six foot defensive tackles? I think he did have signed with North Texas. Yeah, um, or maybe K State and then North Texas. I don't remember. K State. And he entered the portal in 2015. Where the hell did he transfer to? I guess, yeah, he ended up in North Texas. You are right. Mm, yeah. Um, damn. Stink. Uh, what else we got? Yeah, Aaron, there was one more. Yeah, Aaron Garza. Six he, two and a half, three eighteen from Sherman. Rated as also an 83 three-star. Signed with Kansas. And staff had no problem with him signing with Kansas. Hmm. There's an Aaron Garza story I'll tell you off the air. Interesting. Yeah, these that was it, man. Yeah, there was there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, let's see, twenty sixteen guys they had to cut out. But you know what, though, real quick, I I think I mentioned this before. But man, as bad as that strong staff was, as bad as the initial offensive staff hires were, and as bad as they evaluated, you know, pretty much every position on offense, save for a couple guys, they they knew what they were doing defensively. Malik Jefferson, Holton Hill, Chris Boyd. Uh, let's see, go down here a little bit more. Charles Amenahu, Deshaun Elliott. Uh, I just rattled off P.J. Locke. All those guys wound up being NFL players. Damn. Um, I've never heard of, like, any of these dudes. I'm going through just the D commitments for 2016. Just run down names. Just kind of rapid fire these. Trendavian Dixon, receiver from Navasota. Extremely talented kids. Ended up signing with Houston. Had this, that's several state receiving records at one point. 
the hell? Why do you end up at Houston? Do you have off the field problems? Uh, yeah, there was something. I think the Texas staff kind of had to cut bait with him at one point. Mm. I forget um, what the issue was though. And then Obi Ebo from Southlake. Obi Ebo, uh, corner. Yeah, eighty-six three-star. I think he ended up at Stanford. I think he signed with Stanford. You made the right choice, UCLA. Oh, he went. He ended up at UCLA. No, no, he's at UCLA now. He also was at Stanford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Twenty seventeen. Let's see. Who are these? Was that it for sixteen? Yeah, that was it. Twenty seventeen. We have Xavier Newman, a guard from DeSoto. Legarion Carson. You know, from you know him Island. as Xavier Newman Johnson, who started. I think started four years at Baylor. Hmm. Um, Legarion Carson from Liberty Island. Kid, uh, got in trouble up at Liberty Ilo grades. At last I heard, he was at a JUCO and then fell off. Mm. And then Major Tennyson from Bullard. Flipped to Bama. Yep. Great choice. <laughs> Who else we got? 2018. Doo, doo, doo. We got By the way, we're looking at past Texas D commits, see who really yeah. uh, the yeah, staff missed on. 2018, we got Ron Tatum from Putnam City. How did they even get that kid to commit in the first place? <laughs> he, really, Oklahoma. he really liked Texas. He really liked Texas. And I think just this, the pressure to go to OU, I think, got to him in the end. But he ended up transferring out of OU. I don't even know if he made it a year at OU before he hit the portal. The other one is Justin Watkins from Florida. That, again, another really talented kid. I think Texas was the second of like four schools he ended up committing to. Mm, um, interesting. I think he signed with Florida and got in trouble at Florida. Um, I know. Oh, Watkins, yeah. uh, Rondell Moore. <laughs> Dude, that was a that that one hurt. Uh, that was a late flip. He flipped to Purdue when uh, he he was committed to Louisville, I think. And Brian Brom ended up getting the Purdue job. And then that's what there was a there was a connection there. Rondell was from Kentucky, and I think he went to the same high school as as the Brom family did. There was a there was a tie there, and basically when Jeff Brom went to Purdue, uh, he uh, Rondell Moore ended up at Purdue. Yeah, it says uh, Dominic Wood Anderson, Arizona Western College tight end, flipped to Tennessee. Yeah. 2019, Demarion Houston and Peyton Powell. Demarion Houston from Millwood and Oklahoma City. Yeah, they decommitted ten days apart on December 3rd and December 13th, 2018. I'm gonna be honest, man. I don't remember that kid at all. Peyton Powell from Peyton Permian. Powell. Uh, Peyton Powell was committed to Texas. A kid out of Odessa, Permian. Wanted to play quarterback. Texas recruited him as pretty much anything but a quarterback. Ended up signing with Baylor. I think because Baylor told him he was going to have a chance to play quarterback. Then when he realized he wasn't, he ended up transferring to Rutgers. And I don't know what happened to him after that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just spaced out. But he it's ended fine. up at Rutgers? Yeah. Ugh. Committed to Texas, signed with Baylor, transferred to Rutgers. 2020. Holy shit. There's a bunch in 2020. There's yeah. seven. We got Quentin Johnston. Oh, God, that's just 
Flip to TCU, man. That God, that hurts. Van Fillinger. Uh, I think he signed with Utah, man. Texas. When Jake Lange was on the staff, Texas had made some inroads recruiting uh, Polynesian kids, mm-hmm. and Fillinger was one. Uh, was an All American type kid. I think he actually was in the All American Bowl. Good looking edge prospect. He was like six five. Uh, but yeah, I think he ended up signing with Utah. Mm. Uh, Mookie Cooper, running back from Pattonville and uh, yeah. Missouri. He ended up signing with Ohio State and then uh, ended up transferring from Ohio State to Missouri. Ethan Pouncey, corner from Winter Park, Florida. Tr- uh, ended up at Florida when his brother transferred out. His brother's Jordan Pouncey signed with Texas mm. in 2017. Oh, <laughs> Princely, Yaman Mielin. I forget that he... He's committed. I forgot. I totally forgot that. I've he heard. Committed. I've heard like horror stories from people who covered him. Um, just that he was total dickhead to cover. <laughs> um, Joshua Eaton, corner from Aldi MacArthur, flipped to Oklahoma, and I know transferred to Texas State at one point. Hmm. And then uh, Ty Jordan. I had no idea he ever was committed. Rest in yeah. peace. Yeah, Ty Jordan was committed to Texas. And, you know. Tom Herman tried in vain to – they had the H position, which was the slot position in their offense. And Tom tried in vain because at Ohio State, he had guys like Curtis Samuel. I don't know if you remember Curtis Samuel played at Ohio State, drafted by the Panthers. Tom Herman, Tom really wanted to find – basically, it was it was Tom's version of the Urban Meyer offense. Tom wanted to find his Percy Harvin. That's mm-hmm. basically what he was looking for. And thought he had it with Ron – thought he had it with Justin Watkins. Thought he had it with Rondell Moore. They could have had Jalen Waddle, honestly, but they basically told Jalen Waddle wanted to be the only H recruit in that class. And Texas told him they wanted to recruit other H's. So that's why Jalen, that's part of the reason why Jalen Waddle ended up at Alabama. Uh they thought they had it with Rondell Moore. Thought they had it with Ty Jordan. They were gonna have Ty Jordan in that H role, and then he ended up uh flipping to uh flipping to Utah. Wait, I think Utah. Yeah, I assume just because he was tiny that Texas dropped him. No, no, no. I don't remember Texas dropping him. I remember him flipping to Utah. I think I think that was right before signing day. Damn. In 2021, we have well, basically seven it was a trade. It was basically a trade, Jordan. Like Ty Jordan ended up at Utah and Texas flipped Jalen Ford from Utah to Texas. Yeah. That's named class. Not a bad trade. And in 2021, uh Quinn Ewers is a decommitment. <laughs> uh Billy Bowman. Yeah. Jalen Milrow. Yeah. Here's this one. What's funny is Jalen Milrow decommitted, I want to say a couple days, maybe a week or so after Quinn Ewers committed. Yeah, it was, it says October or August 17, 2020. Mm -hmm. When Jalen decommitted. Quinn was committed for 75 days, I think. And right after the loss to OU, he decommitted. Yeah, August 14th is when Quinn committed. So just three days. Yeah. Milrose coming to Texas for another three days. Yeah. Um, Milrow, this is a true blast from the past. Quay Davis. Just a kid with a ton of stuff off the field. Ton of stuff. Yeah, now I remember it. Yeah. Um, Lake McCree. Let him walk. Uh, Lake McCree, I want to say that was, I want to say that was maybe. He got dropped. 
Yeah, yeah. I remember because I was friends with him. I like Travis, and then his grade. Yeah, they dropped him. Yeah. Um, it was after he tore his ACL. That's Tom right. Tom Herman That's and right. then pulled his scholarship. The um, yeah. and they're pissed because UT was like his dream school growing up and everything. I, I'm I'm thinking you might want to check with Mike. I'm pretty sure I'm remembering the Ty Jordan thing correctly. Okay. Um, Landon King, who's now at Auburn. That was uh, a straight decommit. flip. That was a straight flip. Uh, Michael Mizelinski from Jacksonville. Center. Uh, I'm trying to What class was that? 21. He decommitted December 11th, uh, 2020. So right before there was signing a, day. Oh, man. He had, his dad, I want to say his dad, I think, was like the strength coach with the Jaguars. Mm. And I want to say, did he know Yancey McKnight or was friends with Yancey McKnight? I think he, or maybe it was Herb Hand. I forget. They had the Mislinskis were friends, the fam, family friends with somebody he, on the Texas staff. I think it was her. It was either Herb Hand or Yancey McKnight, but I'm pretty sure it was Herb Hand. And then when it looked you, like Herman was going to move on from Herb Hand, because if Herman would have come back, he would have come back with a new offensive line coach. Uh, I think that's when he decommitted. Yeah. Um, Decommitted December 11, 2020, got crystal ball to Michigan State the next day, but ended up at Iowa on January 23rd. Let's see, committed and signed his letter of intent. Um, let's see. If I remember right, I don't think the staff was that upset to lose him. It was trade, trade jumps on as we're talking. Jordan just decided to start running down old decommitment lists and seeing what I remember and what I don't. Damn, there's a bunch from 2022 that I totally forgot about. Evan Stewart, they dropped him. <laughs> he was dropped. No. Uh, Jamarian Miller, I remember I had seen Jamarian Miller play one high school game, and he was committed to Texas. They're Damn. playing Cedar Hill. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't believe Texas is taking this guy. I remember telling that to Nick Harris. We went to the game together, and it was his senior year. It was his last game we ever played. Two days later, he flips to Bama. And yeah. I was like, what is Nick Saban doing? But... He's been better than I expected. Uh, mm -hmm. Other guys are Jalen Gilbo, who obviously ended up back in Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, Jalen Gilbo and John Burt, so far, the two uh, rare decommit only to recommit. Yeah. Uh, Kobe McKenzie. Y'all remember that one? That was a shit show. Oh, yeah. He's committed to OU, and then Riley left, and he visited Texas, like committed on the visit, and then Venables and them got him up to visit, like right before signing day. And, yeah. like, he gave all these quotes, like, like Texas is so fake. They were just talking money, all this stuff. It's like, dog, you were, you had just flipped there. Yeah. But uh, Armani Winfield, who decommitted in the middle of the Kansas game without telling the coaches, <laughs> um, and ended up at Baylor, and it has, like, less than 100 yards. Um, and, by the way, they dropped a Baylor, of all people, decided to drop a bag on him, believe it or not. And, yeah. like, it's the ROI is negative. Uh, Faison Wilson, he got dropped. Yeah. Um, Eogan Carey got dropped, or Owen, however you say it. And Ronald Lewis was also dropped. But Champ Lewis, yeah, he got. Uh, yeah, Champ. He got. Pro who did Tech? Uh, this is one of the. He ended up one of the DBs they signed. Man, they got somebody. It was kind of like the deal I mentioned with the Jamil Johnson, PJ Locke thing. I forget which DB they had signed, but they had gotten a commitment. They're like, "Yeah, we can't take everybody," and they got kind of that rush of guys at the end where they had to process somebody out, and it was Champ Lewis. Yeah. Yep. You know what? I think it was when they were getting Terrence Brooks. 
Mm. Yeah, and, and, and remember, right, right at the end too, they had had like four or five offensive linemen commit right at the end. Yeah, I remember. I uh, was actually on the feeder road next to thirty-five on the way into McLean to see Westlake beat the shit out of Kaylee, Katie whenever Kelvin Banks had committed to Texas. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know. I just, and like, I remember <laughs> this is always really weird. The stoplight uh, I was at, I remember when I was like five, we had just left the house on the way to Florida, me and my family all in the car. And they cut out like 96.7 or whatever radio station was on. And it, it was like the purge like sirens mm-hmm. and i'm like five or six like what the hell and they say you know legendary singer michael jackson has been fine has passed away or whatever and that's like when everyone first found out that same stopping light i'm at whenever i get the notification arch manning finally went public and that was like the first thing i had thought about for some reason <laughs> i'm like why is i'm at the same spot as michael what the hell but, all right so now we have a six degrees between arch manning and michael jackson didn't think we were getting that today so I'm going out on a very, very flimsy limb, guys. Arch Manning has molested less children than Michael Jackson has in his life. Uh, probably a good prediction. Good prediction. Sure you want to sure you want to walk out on that one, Trey. Uh... I, look, I, you got to take chances sometimes in this business. I guess I'll, I'll eat crow if that turns out not to be the case. But in his entire life, he will. This is how far I'm going. He's not going to molest as many kids as Michael Jackson did when he was still alive. Throughout his life. So let's go the next 50 plus years too. Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, Michael Jackson molested kids. I'm I'm comfortable saying that. Mm. BK, where do you stand on this? Those kids probably weren't as comfortable. Uh, I would say two monumental moments in American history happened at that stoplight. So I'm worried. I don't know. Like one of those news was not so good. One of those news was good. So I'm worried what happens next time you end up at that stoplight in Waco. Something's going to happen. I just don't know if it's going to be somebody important dying or Texas football getting one of its biggest commitments in program history. I don't know. Well, it's the Southwest Parkway and Highway 71 uh, intersection. If y'all are curious. Southwest. Okay. So just south of uh, Bee Cave then between Bee Cave and Oak Hill. Yeah. Oh, this is different from the Waco stoplight that you were talking about. I didn't. I never said Waco. I don't think, unless I did. Oh, you're, you were driving. Okay, you were driving. You're driving from Florida. Austin to Florida. Got it. No. Right. Oh, oh, the that was Kelvin Banks. That uh, was Kelvin okay. Banks's thing. Yeah. I'm getting all my stories but, confused. Oh shit, that's right by me. You're not invited to come over ever. <laughs> oh, it was now. it was one piece of good news and one piece of interesting news. So I think the odds are good that it's going to be more positive than negative. See, Jordan, you got cooler stories than I do. The only the only one I've got is uh, I was at a high school game the night that Will Muschamp left Texas to take the Florida job because Major Applewhite was recruiting. Malcolm Brown was committed, but Major kept recruiting him like he wasn't. And Major's at the game, and he's, you know, shaking hands with people on the steel sideline. And then I look down, he gets a phone call, and then just, I mean, almost running out of the stadium. I'm like, well, that was weird. And then... I get a phone. I think Kevin Flaherty called me when I'm on my walk into the car after the game. He's like, so how about this must champ stuff? I'm like, what must champ stuff? And then I get, I just get the whole earful on just what a shit show that visit weekend became. Speaking of shit shows, the only good intersection story I have guys is I was at the intersection of 360 and 71 a couple of weeks ago and a little bit up the way under the uh, elevated part of the highway. I saw a homeless guy taking a shit into a bucket right across from that Arby's there. Wow. 
Did he make it into the bucket at least? Some of it. Which is better than none. <laughs> hey, when you guys don't think much of a recruit, a kid that Texas has taken and he's given his verbal pledge, like what you were just talking about, do you even do you walk on eggshells with that one with being critical, or do you just say as little as possible? You keep it pretty generic. In the past, I've just tried to say as little as possible. Yeah, I like there's even kids they signed in 24 that I'm like, there's no way this kid isn't in the portal a year from now that I will never comment publicly and say that kid's name or anything. But like, you know, we know about it. But yeah, yeah I definitely try to say as little as possible. Okay. And is that yeah. just for the respect of the kid to treat the situation as. Yep. Yeah, re respect yeah. to the kid, you know, there's other situations where, like, uh, Aaron Hampton, right? I the, the Texas staff liked him a lot as a prospect. I was never super wild about him as a prospect. But anytime he committed, I'm like, hey, this kid is all over the place. He, there's a high chance he's going to end up decommitting again, which I feel is worth it because, I mean, Aaron Hampton was committed to three different schools. Yeah. And yeah. while he only ever played football for Dangerfield High School, had been enrolled at like five different high schools across his four years of high school because he kept getting into it with the Dangerfield staff and wanted to play QB and they wouldn't let him early on. So, yeah. He actually was at Manor for like a week as a freshman, believe it or not. He, he has some family that lives down in Manor. That's a that's not like a day trip, you know, going from mm -hmm. Dangerfield to Manor. Mm -mm. Hall. There is Dangerfield. East go, to, go to Longview and then go north like you're just – Go suddenly going to Oklahoma, and then you'll eventually run into Dangerfield. God, north of Longview, holy shit, that's in the sticks. Yeah, yeah. No, nah, they're they're like three A, four A. He went both ways to them, and yeah. But most of the time, though, I always I always try to protect the the kids if we can, just because like eventually I know someone in the market, or eventually it's going to get out there because of someone in the market, and like you know, I want the the kid to be the one that that tells them you know, kind of what type of person they are or whatnot, or the fans figured out first, you know, Trey, yeah. have you, before I, before I get out, Trey BK, have either one of you ever, Trey's story just prompted this question. Either one of you ever had to go number two in a receptacle other than a toilet? Yes. Be it for medical reasons or like you can't find anything. You just gotta, just gotta go. Um, both in a sense. Uh, I have shit myself before, which I think most people by the time they reach 46 have done so at least once in their lives. And the rules of shitting yourselves apply. That is, you throw the underwear away immediately. If any of it got in the pants, that gets thrown away. And you also don't talk about it for 10 years afterwards. But for the first time in my life earlier, I guess last summer, I would have shitted, shit, intentionally shit in something other than a toilet. And that would be a large paint bucket that had a yeah. toilet seat attached to it when we were camping in the Oregon wilderness. In okay, that makes sense. Air camp, unironically. I had to, uh, man, I had, uh, I was in high school, I had like the worst case of food poisoning I've ever had in my life. Like in, in three or four days, I lost probably like 15 pounds, like couldn't keep anything down. And it's coming out both ends. And the doctor was like, well, we need a stool sample. I'm like, well, I can't leave the house. How do you plan on getting that? And it's like, well... He, the doctor told my mom, well, and he needs to go and something and somebody needs to bring it up here. So I'm like, all right, let me Top hover floor. over this country crock butter bowl and then <laughs> somebody can take this to the doctor's office. <laughs> hey, uh, Jeff, your poop is really fatty. Have you uh, been eating a lot of dairy recently? Yes, doc. Yes, I have. 
I feel bad for whoever tried to get that butter out of the fridge the next time. Yeah, just uh, so avoid the country crock bowl. I haven't looked at country crock butter the same since. Uh, I have some in my fridge. I will no longer be purchasing country crock. Kind of double check it like, okay, it's just butter. It's just yeah. butter. Uh, now neither of you are invited to my place anytime. Like, you know, soon. like some of you guys have family that, uh, you know, they'll put leftovers in like just random Tupperware bowls, like seeing like sloppy Joe and like to my parents house and like leftover sloppy Joe's in a country crock bowl. I'm like, yeah, it's not going to eat that. doesn't look appetizing at all. Speaking of shit and country crock. Yes. This has been a weird day in terms of the show's crosstalk devolving into our shitting habits because the same thing happens between the morning show and the chaos theory where Wags admitted that he shit into one of the uh, the tall trash cans at the horn back in the day, <laughs> which led me to tell him I no longer support the troops. <laughs> yeah, dude, there was a... Uh... The, the worst thing I had I heard there was when the uh, the guys that were there during the ice storm in 21 Boy. that the toilets couldn't flush. So, oh, BK, you were up there. Yeah. Is it true what Snoop told me that you guys were just kind of pancake stacking it in the bathroom? Um, yeah, I, I took a couple of outdoor shits during that stretch, uh, and I would go to different floors just to have my own toilet. Um <laughs> we, we we ran out of them pretty quickly, so it was it was not good. You had to be pretty quick with those outdoor shits too. It was so cold that if you're not careful, you leave those spread buck cheeks open for too long. That shit is gonna freeze to your crack, you know. You got frostbite on your on your rump roast, man. Uh, Jordan has distanced himself from this conversation <laughs> as much as he could by leaning as far back in his chair as he possibly can. He's gonna want to put that for us for us to get out of here. All right, guys. We'll uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Trey B. Y'all, y'all ain't clipping my ass. I don't know where you guys go from here, but uh, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, have fun. See ya. Uh, <laughs> man, there they go.